everyone. My name is Dr. Anu Sagar. And I'm Dr. Rashmi Venkatesh. And this is Gupshup Life Unfiltered. Intro music. Pause. <laughs> right. Cue intro music. Okay. Pause. Okay. Well, cheers, Rashmi. Right? Cheers. Cheers, Dr. Sagar. I know, right? It only took me eight years. Jesus I mean, Christ. listen, it's not the length of the journey. It's the fact that you got there. <laughs> At least I got there. I made my parents proud. <laughs> well, and like lost myself in the process. <laughs> what a great segue into what it is that we're doing here. Right? That was a total scripted setup. Just kidding. Um, we, <laughs> well, so what we're doing here is this was really what born out of my dissertation, which was really to look at why South Asian women are like hyper everything. We're hyper productive. We're, you know, hyper degreed. We have to be the best at everything. Why? Like, I just didn't understand why. Hyper self-critical. Yes, hyper self-critical. And honestly, I could not for the life of me figure out why. Like, because it's such a common trend, right? The TLDR was, what is my damage? Yeah, exactly. And so I basically <laughs> wrote this dissertation as a way to figure out what my own damage was caused from. And yeah. And mine. I learned, I learned mine along right, the way, because, too. Well, you were part of it. So I think there were so many yeah. interesting things that we were able to find out. And part of it was ultimately it all kind of leads to guilt and brown guilt at that. And I think that's what is really our driving force, which is so important to start talking about because you and I use the word brown guilt all the time. Right. Um, and it's funny because you and I use it all the time in kind of our like general conversations over, you know, dinner and happy hours and whatnot, just very casually. But then as you started digging in, you realized that people are using this term casually a lot and coming up with it independent like every a bunch of different people are coming up with it independently of each other but it seems to be this just like bizarrely universal phenomenon specifically among south asian american girls and women right yeah and you know i remember like doing so much research and this is what really got me was I was like found finding definitions of brown guilt way mm -hmm. like when women were way younger right like I'd find it in like blogs by like teenagers like that means that some sense of guilt was forming much earlier than you know now and I'm 35 years old now and I'm now exploring why I feel this need to like do everything or be hypercritical or hyperproductive so imagine like how much guilt we've probably been carrying without because realizing if it's it. us and then if it's you know these you know blog posts and these tumblr posts and whatever there have to be millions and millions of people experiencing this emotion that want an outlet to talk about it and think about it and you know, just know that you're not the only one experiencing what you're experiencing. You know, we talked about it going that girls really starting to feel that guilt when they were much younger. So I started to like look at why that happened. And what I would find is I really started back in 1965, right? Like where the Immigration Act um, happened and there was tons of Indians and it opened the borders that, uh, for immigration, not just Indians, but 
a lot of immigrants, right? And so what would happen is they would essentially, the people who immigrated were those that were of high caliber, right? Not really the working class, but like kind of white collar um, and very educated and who really were brought almost like selectively to make a difference. And so it almost started from there, right? Like, because the children that were born in the United States, which you and I are part of, um, from those people who immigrated, almost have this like set um, expectation of continuing to achieve. And that itself is so hard because you're almost born. Well, you're not almost, you definitely are born with expectations. I think that that is so apt because the only way to survive because for the people that emigrated here, it was their way to survive. They were coming to the U.S. in order to find better economic opportunities for themselves. And that that attitude is kind of trickling down into the communities. And, and I mean, it's so prevalent in the brown guilt that a lot of people that I myself have felt, you know, you 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 feel pressured to be a straight A student. You feel pressured to not slip up anywhere academics are always number one it's like I feel like every Indian kid I knew was only allowed to do clubs and sports so long as it didn't interfere with their schoolwork because there was this total through line that like academics was the end all and be all and if you didn't necessarily feel that way it would really put you in some kind of turmoil because you are stuck in between this weird place where you're very thankful for your family and your community for being for taking care of you and for the opportunities that you're afforded by by being born in America but at the same time you're kind of foisted with these expectations that you didn't ask for yeah and it's like it's unfortunate because like I talk about how South Asian you know American women are really not agents of their own freedom right like we're kind of brought here or you know we're born here and our academics are number one like you said and a lot of that is because our parents are kind of well and our community our aunties and uncles everybody in that community is kind of like well you know we came here off our academics or we came here off of our like specialty and so we expect you to kind of like bring that forward right do better than us and and like that's another problem is that like because it's like drilled in us and I know you and I have had such similar upbringings that because it's drilled in us over time like look what we did for you and you know you're also not only hearing what's said right like but not only that but you're also seeing them like work really hard and give you everything you want and all of those things and I remember my mom um right before my wedding was like, oh, you know, do you think that you got everything that you want? I didn't feel like I could give that to you. And I was like, but that's the thing. Like, I didn't need half the shit I wanted. <laughs> like, at the time, I didn't need another Tamagotchi. But like, <laughs> you don't think about that. Right. Yeah. No, it's so true, though, because they they really did put their money where their mouth was, right? All of these parents, all of these families would do everything that they could work multiple jobs scrimp and save every single penny dime nickel like really just hold on to every last bit of cash possible in order to secure a good future for their children um which 
when you think about it, especially now as an adult and you think about kind of the sacrifices that they had to make for their own happiness, you're kind of in awe. You're like, oh my gosh, these people were so dedicated to my success. But I think the rub is when their definition of success is so singular and their definition their definition of success is just go to school, go to school, go to more school, get a secure job, exactly. and then be secure for the rest yeah. of your life. And the guilt comes when you are like, hey, that's not my definition of success. But you've seen somebody deny themselves their whole adult lives so you can have success. And it's a really it's a feeling that rips you up inside because you're like, Obviously, this comes from a place of love, you know, this comes from a place of really loving intentions. But just because it comes from comes the pressure comes from a place of love doesn't mean it's conducive to. Yeah. And that's the problem is that like that's how I end up defining it is essentially like you're constantly in conflict with like what you want to do and what your parents are doing or what's art and seeing like kind of having or basically having that front row seat to their sacrifices right so you're so you know indebted or you feel so indebted to them but you also are like trying to chart your own path i mean like look at us like how long have we talked about like actually doing a podcast versus actually doing it because it's such a departure from like our secure jobs and yet we're not leaving our jobs like this is just like a side thing that we're doing you know it's it's really interesting that you bring this up because our whole attitude as we were putting this together I feel was like so giddy in a way that was really similar to like I don't know like a teenager sneaking out for the first time you know what I mean and we are grown ass women in our 30s with doctorates you have two children you have a whole damn family that you're holding down (laughs) yeah and yet we're like this is so bad we're gonna start a podcast and it's like what is happening I'm like, I noticed, like, I was, look, I'm so used to looking for approval um, from people that I noticed that, like, uh, you know, like, I didn't talk to anybody about it, like, beyond people who I knew. Yeah, it feels illegal. Like, you can just make this I don't want anyone to be like, are you sure? Like, I don't know, you know, I don't need anyone smirking. I don't want anything. And, like, that fear is, like, just not okay, right? But it's, like, ingrained in our, that Uh, feeling is ingrained in us since we were small to like stability equals success look what we did and you'll continue to do it so anything like that's a departure from that is really really Mm -hmm. like just I don't know it's fucking sucks (laughs) it just reminded me of this really funny ceremony that I know a bunch of South Asian people do I don't know if you've heard about this where when a baby is like just starting to crawl like six or eight years old they'll put like a bunch of like job related things on the floor so they'll put like a stethoscope and a gavel and like a and like a a textbook and they'll be like, okay, which one is the baby going to crawl towards? And it's like, this child is six months old. This child doesn't know its head <laughs> from its butt. And it's already the information that, you know, you have three choices. You could be a doctor, you could be a lawyer, you could be a professor are really like being thrown at this child, you know, like there's not a basketball there. There's not tap shoes there. You know, I mean, the whole the whole tradition is just like for fun, but it kind of like illustrates how serious people take this straight and narrow concept of security. And 
I guess when you look at the history, it makes sense, but it worked for people whose immigration statuses and whose economic statuses were more more delicate than ours, the first generation. But- so one of the things that I think is so painful to watch and like it kind of goes back to like us feeling like we were doing something bad right like i mean i know this is our first episode so people don't really know us but you know like you're you know a scientist and a researcher and i do social science and i research and i work for a really large tech company and so between the two of us we are very stable we've owned our own homes i have children you have your 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 fur child like we we have these stable um homes but and like doing something like this is so like quote unquote bad why because all not only are we dealing with our own brown guilt of seeing our parents and you know just seeing everybody kind of like create these great lives for us and these opportunities and we shouldn't fuck it up right but then also on top of that like we have that layer of being women which is so complicated and layered and there's just so many facets above that um part of like you know when i was doing so much of my research was like around and i'll link it of course in the show notes but one of the things that we would we researched was the fact that women in in brown right not just indian but just kind of brown daisy cultures are really looked at as keepers of tradition that's literally what or keepers of culture that's what we were called so now not only are we dealing with like breaking through just the guilt of like not having a different career or an alternative career but also like breaking the fact that we're not necessarily the keepers of tradition in culture absolutely i mean you know it kind of takes me to i know you and i recently just saw the barbie movie separately sadly but we will go back and see it together and there's a really there's a um and there's a really great monologue that america ferrer's character has where she talks about all the things that women are supposed to be and you know you're supposed to be assertive but if you're too assertive you're a bitch and you're supposed to be pretty but if you're too pretty you're a slut and you know like you have to be all of these things that seem opposing that it feels impossible to be a woman now this is just as a woman on un- type unspecified in the u.s add on the layer of complexity that being a South Asian woman adds to that whole thing, you know, because you're, like you said, expected to be a keeper of the culture, a keeper of the religion. There's a lot of expectations that fall down on you about how to raise children or how to keep a home or how to treat a spouse. And it's like, you know what? We have the potential to be agents and more and more women of South Asian descent are becoming agents of their own free will and just kind of like doing what they should do. Right. We have like we're seeing more people in the media, more people kind of having these alternative careers. And by alternative, I mean, like something that's not like a doctor, lawyer, engineer. But at the same time, it's like imagine what they had to go through to break free of that. You know, unless they had like parents that were just so just like free which is not the majority case and i i even think about that like with me as a working full-time parent because not only is it like i have to hyper perform at work right and do all of these things in order to 
keep my job and thrive and continue to move up the the ladder but also like as a mom like I need to make sure my kids have fresh vegetables I I mean not that that's like a difficult thing but I have to make sure that they're eating well and they're doing well and they're going to the temple and they're doing this you know it, it it almost makes your head spin when you think about all of the predetermined things that people expect you to be. And I think that there comes a point where you, you really ask yourself, do I have any agency in my own life? Like, like, um, am I, am I allowed to make any decisions for myself? Oh yeah. I mean, like, you know, even when I think about like my own situation, like there's a lot of times when they're like, Oh my, like it frustrates me to no end, right? Like I'm working all the time and, and so is Rohit. Like we're both working all the time. We, sure, I may have a little bit more of the household like thoughts, like and things I have to do a little bit faster, but that's just like not because he doesn't share half of it. That's just kind of because I've been socialized to think that way. And so I have like all of these things that I have to think about and still, still people will be like oh my god you're so lucky to have him and I'm just like this is both of our house you know and it's so hard because I'm constantly fighting this like and and that's like another thing I see right like I constantly see the fact that like we are forced to do things like to work outside the home we're forced to be fantastic mothers and wives and housekeepers in the home and that's a fucking product of how our parents were to us or what we saw with our parents then yeah and like what kills me Rashmi, is the fact that like when our parents came here when our mothers came here there was a decision tree and they could have taken the fork in the fucking road where they actually was like no I'm not gonna fucking do this like I, I you need to share the household responsibility with me or you need to help raise the kids or you can't you have to I can't be the only default parent or whatever I can't you can't expect me to bring home the money and do all this shit but you know what like our parents didn't do that the majority of our, and, and that that's how it's like showing up for us now although so you are totally correct but that kind of is sparks an interesting question in my mind because obviously our moms it's like they wanted to have it all but instead they did it all you know and and I think like Oh, that's kind of the flip side of being a working woman that is only being talked about recently that like, yes, you may have more economic and financial freedoms and you may, you know, be more respected outside the home, but nobody is, nobody was giving them that break in the home, right? Nobody was giving women of that generation a break in the home. They were just, they were just slogging through life at work and then slogging through life at home. But then to them, it may have seemed better than their parents' generation where their moms likely didn't have any economic freedom, likely didn't work or have any money to their name, um, and likely didn't have a nearly as conversational or equal relationship with their spouses, right? It, it must have been much more separated and adversarial. And so it kind of makes me think, you know, we're having this conversation now about our our own guilt and our own limitations. And you kind of wonder um, how it's going to look like for the generation after us, Generation Alpha, the little babes of today, because 
our, yeah. our my babies, you know, like I they're two and a half now. And I just like and one of the things that Roth and I talk about all the time is the fact that we don't want them to grow up like they don't owe a shit. You know, they didn't ask to be born, you know, so I think they, that's a very I want that's them a very to do radical whatever they point want. of view that I share. But also, I think that this is very new to this generation. The fact that nobody consents to their own birth. I think this is very I, I, th- I think this is very interesting. <laughs> yeah. It's so true. So but every true. time you say it to somebody who is of a generation before you, they're like, what? <laughs> like the concept just does not compute. Right. You know, I was thinking about it the other day. So um, obviously we set up like as good Indian parents do, we set up 529s for for our kids. And, um, you know, we put money, um, obviously, we, we put some starter money in there. And, and, you know, within their first birthday, the grandparents were kind of like, oh, uh, and this is specific about my dad, like he, he put money in there for their first birthday. And then he's like, yeah, you know, for when they go to college, I'm like, Dan, you know, they might not go to college. Like, what if they want to start their own mechanic shop or they want to start their own restaurant i don't know you know and he was so appalled that i even would think that they wouldn't use that for college you know and i was just like dad like i don't know but at the end of the day like i'm gonna just kind of take them to do something successful whatever that looks like and it's so funny because like breaking these generational like expectations and standards and is is so it's it like carries on from generation to generation but one thing that i know is that i do not want to impart that guilt of what is like having that internal conflict of yourself of who you are versus like what you're what you think you owe so your it's parents safe, it's safe to say that you did not right? do the little doctor lawyer professor test for your children <laughs> But oh, and like, but here's the thing, right? Like, we didn't do it, but we did something like similar. And I can't remember, like, it was such, I mean, you know, my uh, infant life was mom life was a blur. It was so crazy um, with having twins. And like, I remember we did something. And I remember like, it, it was like surrounding that. And I remember thinking like, this is really dumb. Like, this is so pointless and like and and we did it anyway and like that's the other part of brown guilt right is that you directly disagree with things but because like you see everything that your parents have done and like everything that they've given you you almost like go along with stuff that you just literally don't know that's that's absolutely true and i i wonder this all the time i mean you know i don't i don't have any children of my own yet but i i you know would like to Fur babies are babies, babies, but they're not. People will be divided on that. My fur baby is my baby. But um, she doesn't, her gender is irrelevant to her. So, you know, (laughs) it's, uh, it's, uh, I I don't think that she's, she, she does, she, she has exited the chat. She's like, this is not, not my, my purview. (laughs) Right. But like I think about, you know, so, Growing up, I grew up in a Hindu family. I would say that my family is moderately religious. Like, they're not fanatical or anything. But, I mean, they definitely are, you know, I would say a, a, a normal. I, I don't even know if that's a measure. But, like, a medium amount of relig- religiosity. 
Um, but, you know, we did celebrate holidays and stuff like that. And, and one of the holidays that we celebrated as a child, and I remember even as a small child, and I think this is a pretty widespread Hindu holiday, is one where um, you, as an unmarried woman, I think you, I what don't remember the name of it, but like essentially you pray for okay. like the long life of your future husband, right? It's very interesting. It's tied together with another holiday that like celebrates your brother. So it's really all about just bending over backwards for the men in your life. <laughs> Even yeah. the ones that haven't that that you haven't met yet. Um, but you know, I know that there's a real I... <laughs> that is so true. That's that's the bullshit sometimes, right? Like you're literally praying right. for people you haven't met. You're sitting there, I'm sitting there at five gender. years old. I mean, listen, I could have been a lesbian. Then, then what would have happened, you know? But like, like I'm sitting there at five <laughs> yeah. years old, and you're praying for the health of like your, or you're praying for the health and like goodness of the future husband. the The idea of marriage in my head is still not fully formed. I really believed that babies came from vegetable markets, um, or um, or or Back that that day. you know that you would trade salt for a child, which is I think. Yeah, yeah. We, I yeah. think many of us have heard that one. And so, you know, like, I didn't even have a fully formed idea of marriage. And and it's interesting because I don't think that my mom, in a lot of ways, my mom was very, and, and, and I think you were raised very similarly, too, was very much like education first, education first. But it, you're kind of caught between a rock and a hard place. And I'll give you a perfect example, right? Like of where I think there's brown gill in like weird places right because it permeates for us like way beyond like our norm it permeates in the decisions we make for our parents it permeates in like how we choose it we have to consciously choose to raise our children in a very specific way or like even for you and Shree, you, like what you will do in your married life you have to be so conscious in how you choose to do it because you can easily fall into that brown guilt of your parents especially because yeah. your parents live near you well both of ours do but um one of the things I think about is the fact that like like you know a puja or prayer service for people who may not know um that we host and like one of them is Diwali. Diwali is a huge festival in our home that we celebrate and like I think about the 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 time that like you know like my my dad's side like really I mean you know South Indians we stay eating meat so like he wanted you know it was like normal Diwali would have idlis and and meat and like or meat curry or chicken curry something like that and like that was like norm but like Rohit was like no like I didn't grow up like that I don't do that and it's just so interesting because like what we're socialized to do over time is kind of just becomes us as adults and like because of that I feel like we have to make such conscious decisions to like keep everybody away from like the guilt that was imposed on us right right and I think the expectation in that situation would have been you know from your grandparents would just be that, that you would go along with what your husband's family wanted to do and so even in exactly. saying hey this might be what you grew up with, but this is not the tradition that I grew up with. Um, I think that there there is even some guilt in that. There's even some guilt in in insisting on your own identity in within your marriage. Yeah, 
And it doesn't come from the South. It's like it comes from your own female ancestors in your in your mind. Oh my God. That that's so true. Like there's so many times where and I mean, you know, bro, he does not um ever impose anything on me like that. Like, right. And like I get so like weird about it like even imposing things on him rush me i remember when i was like a little girl and i went to my friend's house it was my friend's house right and i'd been there a million times she was my neighbor and my grandma was there one time right and so i happened to ask her mom auntie for a glass of water and my grandma was like how dare you you shouldn't be drinking water you shouldn't do this you shouldn't do that and so like you know it's just these expectations and stuff and like I even get nervous like going to people's houses now and asking absolutely. them for water you know like that's absolutely. not okay and and you know and it's, it always blows you away I think when you are in your first kind of like mixed ethnicity gathering um, because I, I, I got the, like, never ask for like a snack or something to eat thing. Right. Like I could have been stranded yes. at somebody's house for 24 hours and I would have just been like, no, 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 don't start. go to any trouble. Oxygen is fine. I'm just I'm so full on the air here. It's your air is exquisite. Like I would fully, fully, absolutely Yikes. do that. And then the first time that you're in like a mixed ethnicity group or somebody that hasn't been imbued with that particular type of guilt and somebody is like oh somebody comes over to your house you know after an afternoon of playing or whatever as a little kid and they're like oh can I have a snack I'm hungry and as a child you're just like and you're waiting for the sky to fall right you're you're absolutely waiting for the sky to fall and I think that's the first time you realize that like I was programmed a little bit different, I think, you know, like you're sitting there at five years old and you're like, this this child is unafraid. And these, and let me, like, let's be clear, like, then you go to your school friend's house, right? Let me tell you, these white kids stay doing whatever the fuck they want. And, and, and like, I, major props, right? They do whatever. <laughs> they ask for water whenever they want. <laughs> they get all this shit whenever they want. And it's just like, you're constantly guilted and you're constantly, well, it's not even guilted. You're just like set all these expectations of like who you need to be. And then that translates into guilt later you know as you grow up because these expectations are your parental expectations but you want to be just like you're trying to offshoot all the time exactly i think you're you're it's this kind of nebulous idea of being a in heavy scare coats good kid Mm -hmm. and there are so many parameters that you're raised with that you're told you need to fulfill to be a good kid and you are so terrified of not being good you're so terrified you're so you're so guilty every time you put a toe out of line of good that it kind of makes you feel like the sky is gonna fall your your world is gonna shatter if you do one single thing that isn't good and I think that it, it, it not only you know creates guilt but it also creates confusion especially when you're young because you think that you need to fulfill 
X, Y, and Z to be good, right? Mm -hmm. I need to get all A's and I need to never ask for water at a friend's house. (laughs) And I need to only eat one slice of pizza at every birthday party. Like, I mean, think about it. Like I literally was eight years old or probably even younger, to be honest, because like, I mean, who knows, right? And I like still, like, I remember exactly where my grandma was sitting. I remember exactly where I was. Like that, that's like, that's like, so it was so clear to me and i remember that being so defining but like another thing that comes up is like these expectations there's so many expectations that we deal with um that eventually causes guilt right like in how we react that was like unsaid by our parents right like i don't think you or I, and you and i have had conversations where we've kind of said like our parents never really like came out you know, and was like, look at all we did for you and look at all the sacrifices. And in that way, you need to do this, you know, like, I mean, yeah, I mean, we'd get into a fight and we would like, they'd be like, I can't believe we did all this or whatever. But that's one of the things I think about all the time is that like this, we were so conscious of what they did for us. But I wonder, like, like, I just, and that really is what drove our guilt. Right, right. I agree. And, you know, I think the guilt is a symptom of a trauma, right? Immigration is an inherent trauma. You rip somebody away from their native land um, and you put them in a new place and you force them to adjust and they adapt, whether it is in a healthy way or whether it's you know, in whatever way that helps them survive, right? Like survival is the goal. The psychology of being in an immigrant community is like too, you know, it started off as survival mechanism, never take up too much space, never be too loud, never ask for what you want because you might get kicked out. Do what you can do to survive. Right. Never Never take any risks. Always take the safe road because it is, you know, it's better than being out on the street. Right. And, and, but now it's clear that it's no longer serving us. And even though it it may not come directly from a person's parents, it's coming from the community as a whole, right? The South Asian community as a whole will still kind of unsaid enforce these rules, keep its population in line based on the culture that it's created for itself. Um, and so I wonder how many generations it's going to take for our community to grow out of, of these things that aren't serving us anymore. Like what, like I wonder when our community will, as a whole will kind of wake up and realize like, Hey, the people that emigrated here had to do this to survive, but we can, we can ask for more now. We can look like we're for thriving. more. You know, we're right. thriving. Like, we're not surviving. We're, we're thriving. thriving. Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, I think, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I think what we're doing now is part of it. I think what we're doing now, just talking about it and shedding light on it is part of it. Because I think, you know, you and I talking about our experiences, I'm sure it's triggered memories for people listening. I literally, uh, so I, I went to my... I had a meeting with my therapist <laughs> this week, and I was like, uh, we were talking about how... Um, this would probably cause more therapy sessions <laughs> as I continue to delve into like areas that 
I mean, we keep tight, right? We we don't really talk about these things because, like, it's shut off from us. And, like, or, like, you and I talk about it all the time because we are also two academics that, like, have an interest in this. And, you know, I dragged you into my dissertation. So, like, you didn't. I mean, I, I I would say I enjoyed I enjoyed the ride. I enjoy. It was, I mean, what started as a drag ended up being very enjoyable. And look where we are. And oh, so, wow. I mean, yeah, I, it, I think that's so true. Like, you know, that guilt kind of comes from like the surviving, and then also like the the come the coming here and the surviving. And and one thing I talk about in my dissertation for me is that like our parents never asked us to do any of it like they just wanted us to be mm-hmm. happy but like right. one of the things that I think is interesting and I think that we definitely need to kind of talk about is that a lot of this brown guilt is self like it's self-implied or self-imposed mm-hmm. right like Absolutely. we didn't they didn't ask for you know of course they made their quips and they made all these things and you know they would drive us but that's not to say other parents didn't to their kids or you know whatever like you can't say like you know an american parent didn't do that as well but at the end of the day like we feel that extra guilt because we saw them survive and right and like and then they got us to thrive and so we feel like we owe them and in a place like let me be clear like i I will always feel like I owe my mom and dad. I will never not feel of that course. way. They gave me of so course. much, you know, but part of like all of this is me thinking about like how I was so scared to do things. And like, rest me, like, I feel like half of our happy hours is talking about all the things we should have done. Absolutely. And, you know, I think in addition, we kind of grew up never seeing ourselves as just individuals i think and a lot of people from marginalized communities can attest to this you know when you are part of a marginalized community you see yourself as rep- as a representative for that marginalized community in everything that you do and like how often have you been the only south asian in the room when you're in you know a meeting a south asian woman in the room you know when you're in a in a meeting or like how like every time that you feel like you have to carry your entire community on your back the threat of that guilt for being a single toe out of line is so much higher um and so you know, so true. you never really gave yourself the opportunity to just exist in society. Like you don't owe society anything. I mean, you owe society basic societal niceties, but you don't owe society. You and me and any other South Asian woman, South Asian in general, don't owe society or our communities anything. We can exist as individuals. And this is why representation is so important but that's a different conversation for another day okay so i'm going to push back and say like do you i feel like we do owe our communities like the fact that like you and i are bringing away and doing this podcast is like or are you saying like we don't owe our communities as in like we don't owe our communities and falling in line yeah you like yeah yeah like like we we don't owe them any kind of obedience for okay that makes sense i mean i I think i think certainly we owe to give back some of our resources because of the successes we've enjoyed have certainly been built on the shoulders of our community that's for sure true but i'm saying this idea that you need to fall in line for for a community i think it's just it's false but i know that a lot of people feel it 
you know, it's like like the what are people going to say that that refrain? What are people going to say? I feel like that's like throughout my childhood. That's like so that's like such a trigger for me is like when people say like, what are people going to say or how are people going to, you know, like react to that? Like, I don't fuck how people are gonna react to that and like but the thing is i do give a fuck how people react to that and like that's because that's my own guilt showing of like what i've been socialized to do right right and that's like taking a lot of therapy and i'm still working towards it absolutely you know absolutely that that is definitely non-negotiable and like and like years i think it's fair to say that you and i now in our 30s are in a place to address this stuff that we would not have been 10 years ago absolutely not Mm -hmm. Okay, so to kind of wrap up our discussion today, I think the million dollar question is what what can we do to alleviate our brown guilt? I love this because I don't know the answer. And it's funny because like someone asked me, they were like, how are brown people going to be allies? I'm like, bro, we don't even know how to be allies properly because we haven't even processed our problems. Right. Like how how can we be allies to other people if we haven't processed our own guilt and how we exist in society today right and i'm actually hoping that this podcast like kind of helps us digest and kind of think about that but more importantly i i think it's like these conscious decisions but i think it really starts with like knowing who we are and knowing what brown guilt is and how it affects us and Mm -hmm. how everything affects us right because like until we get to that point we can't make very conscious decisions based on the fact that we you know we are getting us and our children and our generations after us away from feeling this implied guilt and like and you know i think it's really hard because like it's easy to say like our parents did this and all this stuff but guilt brown guilt is really implied like or imposed not imposed upon ourselves right and so because of that i feel like the only step that we can truly make to move away from this kind of guilt that we've created for ourselves is to understand why we have this guilt and who we are because of this imposed guilt and then be able to make steps with that but like i I think i think that like the only thing to do at this point is to recognize that voice and then have another self-editing voice in your head that's like hey that's not real. That's not coming from a productive place. Exactly. That's coming from your brown guilt place. That's and from my grandma who wouldn't let me it. get water. Right. <laughs> right, 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 right. Exactly. Exactly. And you know what? You're not that little girl anymore. You are a grown ass adult with agency who can do whatever the hell that they want without feeling guilty about it. So long as you're not hurting. Anybody. Yeah. Well, you know, our parents will beg to differ. <laughs>